All right, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to another Learning Tech Talks where we are continuing to explore the landscape of learning and other technologies. This is this is not necessarily learning tech, but you're gonna see, I actually draw a correlation between this and learning, but again, I think sometimes when we look at the talent life cycle, it's important to think just outside the box of learning and development. So you're gonna see how I'm gonna pull all this together if you're going, what does this have to do with learning tech? More to come on that. But uh, I am talking with Prem Kumar. He is the CEO and founder of Humanly, which is AI recruiting. It's it's. I'm going to let him describe what it is, and we're going to get into what that is uh, as we go into it. But we're going to have a great conversation on this and the possibilities of what I would say natural language understanding can do as it relates to measurement, analytics, uh, and actual performance improvement. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, if you aren't already, continue the conversation with me and a bunch of learning professionals in the community at community.learningsharks.com. And then Prem, let's get started on this conversation. Why don't you and everybody watching, you can play along as well. Go ahead and comment in where you are in the world today. But Prem, where are you sitting right now? So I can't always say this, but I'm in sunny Seattle, Washington today. So it, the weather is nice. Uh, yes, yes. So I um, born and raised here and yep, Seattle. Okay. All right. So I got to say, because I was talking to, I think Sam Herring the other day, he's, he's up in the, in the Northwest and it's been hot, <laughs> been pretty hot up there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And no one here has air conditioning. So actually all the hotels were booked because people were leaving their houses to get some AC in, in the hotel. So like a true story. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Well, that, and that was, that was actually one of the points of conversation that we had was the fact that it doesn't normally get that hot. <laughs> so you don't have the ACs, the things there to actually manage it. So did you get a hotel or were you able to just sweat it out? So we actually happened to be on a mini vacation anyways, uh, not oh, too far out, but we had AC there. So yeah, it worked out. It worked out, but been sweating it out since we, since we got back. Okay. Has it started cooling off yet? <laughs> it has. Yeah. Yesterday was uh, back to more, more bearable temperatures. So yeah, no, it's definitely a little cooler. Um, have a lot of popsicles for the kids in the, in the fridge freezer here. So <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and it has been, it's been warm. It cooled off. We actually, the high yesterday was 67. So from nineties, a couple days before. So it's been, it's been a little bit weird, wow. but now it's beautiful and sunny and nice out. So we'll see though. It's going to be a, a perfect weekend. All right. Now the icebreaker question, because this one actually is related to the topic at hand. So I think this one yeah. is a little more directly correlated than some of them, but I'm actually really interested to hear this. And for those of you watching, you can play along as well. But Prem, what was your worst recruiting or interview? We'll see, you know, we'll see where you go with it. What was the worst experience you've had? Ooh, this is a, this is a good one. Um, there is one that is immediately popping to mind. Um, so I, uh, I will take you back to when I was um, just graduating from college at, at the University of Washington and applying to okay. a lot of jobs here. Um, so I was a candidate. Um, I walked into an interview at a, a large company I really wanted to work at. And um, so I walk into the interview. Um, I, I, this is actually the third interview in the loop. So this is the one with the hiring manager. And as I'm answering the questions, he starts to fall asleep. Um, so he starts nodding off. So I start by talking louder in my answers to try and wake him. Um, that doesn't work. So I end up having to actually physically poke him a little bit. And then he kind of uh, comes back to, and, and he kind of acts as if nothing happens. So we just proceed with the interview. And um, like, but he it, falls asleep. You he poke literally him and was like, asleep. Oh, yeah. Well, sorry yeah. about that. Like, yeah, he doesn't even acknowledge it. Not at all. And it was towards the end of the day, but still within a, a time one should be awake. So it was, uh, yeah, it was quite uh, frustrating. And I definitely put that into my candidate experience report. Um, and and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was not really the, the best, ex definitely the worst experience I've had as a job yeah. candidate. <laughs> <laughs> 
you had to wake up your interviewer. That yeah. one, that's pretty good. That's pretty. I good. might I'm just be you, boring, but did you get an offer? <laughs> um, I actually did. I did. So really, maybe, maybe it's actually good he didn't hear what I was saying because maybe I wouldn't have gotten was, an offer if I had yeah, a bad answer. Got, wow, I was <laughs> not. Ex- I was not expecting that to be the outcome. The outcome yeah. is you ended up getting the offer. Okay. All right. Well, all right. So. I didn't take it though. Direction. I didn't take it. <laughs> Good for you. Okay, that's probably that's probably for the best. So so mine was mine was and again it's it's good. We won't mention companies on this one, but I remember I was well into the interview process. It was for a very senior level role, and it was one of these ones where they just kept wanting me to come back, and I'm like, how many times do you really need me to come back? And and to what end? So anyway, number three, I'm I've about had it. Number three, I go back, and I'm supposed to meet the the senior team, and they they bring me back on a day. They have a team meeting, an executive team meeting. They bring me in on that day, and the team meeting goes long, and so none of them can make it. And so I'm sitting in a conference room all day with random people just kind of coming in being like, oh, I was told to come check on you and see how you're doing. With the exception of a handful of little like blips. Oh, hey, I have 10 minutes. Just wanted to come ask you a couple questions. And then like, well, I got to go back to the meeting type of a thing. For the entire day, I was so mad that I had made the trip flown across the country for this thing to have nothing. And so needless to say, I also got an offer for that opportunity and did not take it. So there you go. Some anecdotal evidence on what the candidate experience can do to a potential candidate. They say one of the most stressful parts of an interview is when you're waiting for the person to arrive. So you had a whole day of that basically. Literally an entire, I mean, the thing is the, the assistant was amazing at getting me set up. He was great. He had me set up. He had snacks. He had everything taken care of. I spent most of the day just chilling with him because he felt so bad (laughs) that here I was sitting here just munching on snacks, waiting for people to come talk with me. I'm like, well, I guess I'll get to know you. Oh, man. There you go. All right. All right. Well, so... I know. So so let's shift gears a little bit. We're talking about humanly and and if you haven't figured it out folks, it's about recruiting, but we're going to be talking about how really you're using AI to ironically make this a more human experience and and there's a whole lot of components to that that we'll dig into. But before we get into that, who t- who is Prem Kumar? Give give me some context because did you think you know what? I'm going to go build a recruiting AI platform? Was that like a vision as a child that you had or how did that come to be? Yeah, no, so not a vision as a child. Um, I, I did, um, you know, be interested in um, technology at a fair, fairly young age. Um, I, you know, so I, I grew up here in Seattle, went to University of Washington and, and, and majored in informatics, which was kind of the first time I really got to see the impact that technology could make at, at scale. Um, and then I started to have a few bad candidate experiences and it, it just didn't seem equitable to me where, you know, it's kind of one of the biggest decisions you're making in your life to, to take a job and to, um, but I started to see a lot of inefficiencies in the process. I had one, one quick story is I had a, a counterpart of mine. She was a student as well. And she, um, much smarter than me, much more, more technical than me. Um, and we compared notes in our interviews. And for some reason they were, asking her a completely different set of questions as me. They hmm. first they assumed for some reason that she was less technical. So I was getting less grilled on that part. And um, it just didn't seem fair. And it, 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 I, I started to think about it and it had nothing to do with, uh, well, this particular case was horrible, but in general, the, the whole well, candidate experience didn't seem seem to be efficient and equitable from the candidate side. Um, so I had that memory in my mind and um, got into HR technology at Microsoft. Started building some things okay. that have to do with talent acquisition, and the the rest is history. I you know I, I saw other people experiencing similar things from a, from a candidate and employer standpoint, from an efficiency and equity um, point of view. Um, and we we thought there's a, a problem to be solved in those direct interactions you're having with with candidates. Okay. So you, you were the, the technology thing was your baseline. You you were a technologist and then you had so many bad experiences and you saw the imbalance in the system. You went, I can fix this. 
I can fix this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yep. Okay, so then then let's talk about fixing it, and we're gonna go we're gonna go deep into what humanly is, so people yep. can understand what it is. But at a high level, somebody who might just be tuning in now or just listening, going, okay, humanly AI recruit like what? How do you describe it? If you're walking down the street or you're at a Fourth of July barbecue with somebody, and they go, so you're the CEO of this company, what does it do? Yep. How do you explain it? Yeah, absolutely. So we're there's a lot of tools out there that help you find candidates, um, track candidates. We're, we're focused on those conversations you're having with your job candidates. Okay. So whether that means automating the ones that are repetitive, such as going back and forth on scheduling or an initial screen, or helping people be better at those conversations that are not we, we don't feel should be automated, such as the interview. So we have a technology that will automate what should be automated and provide feedback back to humans um, in those conversations that we feel should remain human driven. Okay. So stream. So it's, it's a combination of then process optimization. So some of it is just because, I mean, we've all been there. That's, that's a nightmare. The time you spend going back, are you free on Wednesday at 10? No, I'm not. Yeah. How about Thursday at not? No, that doesn't work. That, that, so you're automating some of this logistical stuff, but then also streamlining the conversation piece. And we'll talk about it because when you explained it to me backstage, there's really two components. There's this, yep. hey, what can be done completely by a machine from a screening standpoint? And then how can we also then help balance the scales on the actual, okay, now you're talking to an actual person. How do we make that a balanced positive experience as well? Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, when we go to our customers, the the basic need we start by solving for is time savings. And, um, you know, kind of like like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you got to solve the basic needs before you can start thinking of what's next. Um, so we go in, save them time with, with all the stuff that is manual. Um, and then once they have that time back, the, the um, need changes a little bit more to quality experience. Can we be better at these other interactions? Okay. Okay. So it's almost a bit of a journey. And I like, you know what, you're on learning tech talks, Wait, bringing in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, always, always a wise choice, always a wise choice on that one. So well, well done there. Um, so let's talk, let's start with the operational side of things. Yep. Cause if yep. that's where most people, that's where, yep. that's how you get into an organization to say, Hey, this is an inefficient mess of a process that you're dealing with. We can help you with that. So talk to me a little bit about kind of the current state of where organizations yep. might be, and then how are you helping with that process optimization? Yeah, yeah, I can give you a specific example. So we're we're generally targeting those entry to mid-level high volume roles. So it might be like a university hire um, that where you're getting hundreds and hundreds of resumes or entry level support, entry level sales. So right now, um, one of our customers, for example, during campus recruiting season, um, will get about 4,000 resumes coming in and they just have the people. To, yeah. Yeah. So in a three month period, they get 4,000 resumes and, you know, they just have the people to, and they, they'll actually hire temp recruiters just to deal with all the volume. Just to um, filter through the Just noise. to filter it. And, and, you know, the, the great candidates um, still have to like wait a week, a week and a half to talk to someone. So even if you're really strong, you're, it's Which a week and a half. Which makes a big difference. Like because uh -huh. a week, especially on entry level roles, uh -huh. that week you might be on and accepted and moved on to something else real quick. So Totally. Because, yeah, I think part of it is not just screening the candidates, but letting the candidates screen the company, learn more about the company, and you're basically losing a week. So what we do is at the point of application, we'll send out our automated chats that will get to know the candidates, give them a, a good experience, answer their questions, and then take that list of 4,000 or whatever it happens to be and, and make it smaller, um, and then schedule the ones that, that are, are a good fit. So now you're getting kind of that the, the time to first touch is is reduced, um, which impacts time to hire. And we were one thing that really surprised us actually is is where we actually get better ratings than when when people were doing that initial step because you don't have the people to hop on the phone and talk to four thousand people in real time. So you because you're getting, I mean, some you can, but nobody has the can. resources to do it. Yeah, it's just impossible. yeah, nobody has the resources. Yeah, so uh, candidates begin to look at us as a way to to get 
to the human faster and to also under learn more about the job. So that that's kind of the automation piece of screening the scheduling. We do some stuff with like reference yeah. checks as well there. Yep. So I want to I want to dig into this because it's it's I'm actually really interested in this mm -hmm. piece. Because that is, if you talk to people, you'll see it on LinkedIn, you know, you'll see comments about this. It's it's a lot of times a black hole. You go, yep, you yep. fill out a thing, and it is a black hole. You don't hear anything. You don't know whether you're through, yep. whether you're not. You've had no interaction with the company. It's a terrible experience. I've and that's and that's at all levels of the organization. But I do feel like, especially at that entry and mid-level. It's notoriously bad because the organization, like you said, they've got tons of people coming through resource wise. And I think sometimes it's easy to point the finger at the organization and say, how dare you not, you know, have someone pick up the yep. phone and, and tell me I wasn't qualified. It's like, well, if you knew how many people we were screening, forget it. It's just impossible. Yep. So in that sense, it's almost an instant touch point that I mean, near as close to instant as possible, then if I'm hearing you correctly, because it's like you apply and AI is actually touching base with you out of the gate. Yeah, so there's um, some research out there saying that like right now, only 20% of candidates get to a human and humans will spend about seven seconds per resume on average. So right now, absolutely, people aren't getting that that touch. And, you know, if people had unlimited time, money and resources, I would say every every candidate interaction to start with a conversation and humans are always going to be better than than in many ways. There's some ways that, um, you know, I think there can be bias that can be mitigated even the human interactions, but but you just don't have, you're right, you just don't have the resources to engage at scale. And what's changing now, especially in this climate where unemployment is high and application volume is re really high, when candidates have negative experiences, they're, they're sharing it online. They're and gone. They're, they're gone oh, and yeah. they're sharing it. Yeah, so like 72% of them will, that have a negative experience will share it on Glassdoor. And companies are realizing that they're losing money because of this. So um, there's a study done by Virgin Media saying they lose $6 million a year because candidates that have a negative experience experience will go to a competitor. Um, so with these B2C companies, your candidates are, are your best customers sometimes. The average Disney job candidate spends eight times as much money at Disney parks than the average consumer. So by ignoring your candidates, you're ignoring your customers uh, in these kind of B2C scenarios. So, Wow. I didn't even think about that implication of it. Okay. Okay, so in in essence, the, the business case behind it's pretty clear in terms of this, and I think I think pretty much anybody can relate to that because it is awful when you you take the time to fill out <laughs> some of these things that are not necessarily a fun process to go through, and then it it's basically like dropping it in a black hole and going, uh, well, I guess we'll see what happens. Um, so, so on this end, though, you talk about the fact that at this point, AI is taking over. It's it's automating some of these things, and now it's reaching out to a candidate. That almost seems counterintuitive to say that's mm -hmm. making it a more human experience because it sounds like, well, mm -hmm. AI, human experience. Now, I will say I think a lot of people have not had a ton of experience with chatbots and seen where they've come but i'm really curious in this sense what is it gathering from people mm -hmm. at this at this stage in the game because obviously it's doing some filtering but what's it gathering how's it going about this to really narrow the field yeah no there's an interesting study i think it was done by VentureBeat, suggesting that so there's there's been certainly a lot of horrible experiences with Tab bots with AI and, and and there's a bad rap that's been t taken for good reason. Um, there's a study suggesting that humans, if if they get what they need and it helps them move to the next step, yep. um, that then they'd prefer that versus They're not very anything. They can be very effective. And so we actually have all candidates rate our experiences and it, they're very high compared to the alternative. So um, what what is important to compared me is- Compared to the alternative of nothing, So we're our baseline, yeah, I guess it's a low bar right now, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, <laughs> the, the, 
um, and it is even 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 compared to the alternative of a human because you're not going to get to that human for a week. So um, yeah. there, there's a couple things. I think one is just being honest and straightforward with candidates. Like we don't we don't give our our AI bots like a name. We're not pretending you're talking to a human. Some people yeah. will say you know 80 percent of candidates thought they were talking to a human. We're we're not doing that. We'll let you know this is a piece of technology. Um, so I think being very upfront there. Uh, I think meeting candidates where they where they're at. So like one thing that we're able to do is based on where you find the job, we can um, determine how we're engaging with you. So if it's a financial services job that maybe you see an ad for on Facebook, we'll talk to you in a little more professional tone because it's a, it's a job in an industry that has a more professional tone, but we know you're on mobile. We know, we know you're on Facebook, probably don't have your resume with you. We're not going to hit you with an apply now button, which is the only call to action online right now to engage with jobs really. Um, so we yeah. might just talk and say, hey, Christopher, we saw you're looking at this job ad. Um, can we keep in touch with you over email? So I think the context uh, and being contextually aware in these chats is, is very important. I think that's where the game starts changing a little bit. And that's where some of the okay. evolution of chats. But but to ask, answer your question around how we do it, um, you know, there's I no. I actually want to pause yeah. you right there yeah, yeah, because yeah. on that piece. So some of this is not even it's it's not necessarily even a post they've submitted the application because that example you just gave yep. somebody's checking out a job, looking at a job on yep. something, and you're saying, hey, are if you're interested in this, would you be okay with us, you know, going back and forth via email type of a thing? So you're actually engaging candidates who may be passive or even just kind of in consideration. Yeah, so we want to give companies the opportunity to widen the net as much as possible. And the reason they're not doing that, they're using shortcuts to kind of screen, get people out of the bucket is you just don't have time to talk to everyone. But well, they, they're, they're yeah, not yeah, thinking, yeah. how do we engage with yeah. more people when we yeah. have 4,000 that totally, we're trying to totally. down? So yeah. that's not the conversation. But this is no. saying, hey, with technology, we can actually scale this. So some of these people you weren't even talking to we can actually now engage and start in a conversation with them. Yeah, to totally. So, and and then we're the ones that they end up getting on their table scheduled into their calendar are the ones that um, are are the best fits. So, um, that, that's uh, that's that's how we think about it. Okay. Okay. So that that's extremely helpful. I think one of the other things that you brought up that's that's really interesting about your point about the transparency behind the fact that this is technology engaging with you. There's a lot of mistrust i think yep. not i think there is a lot of mistrust around tech right now and one of the things i don't remember what research study i was reading but it was talking about the fact that people are okay with engaging with technology if you're transparent about the yep. fact it is technology it's when you try and trick them and they feel like you're doing a little bit of a sleight of hand that suddenly they they that comfort level that trust level just falls through the floor. So the intentionality behind saying it is it is AI. We're not hiding that. We're not trying to pretend it's Bill from Atlanta talking to you. It's it's an AI bot, but they're here to help and engage with you early on. Yeah, absolutely. So I think being authentic and transparent and also being very outcome based. So if we can tell you by chatting with the spot, if you're a good fit, we'll get you scheduled for an interview in the next like in 30 minutes of talking to us, we'll get a calendar invite set up versus what you're describing as the black hole where you just kind of toss your resume over and hope to hear back. So, um, you know, candidates want to be told the truth. They want expectations set appropriately and they want want to be communicated to. Yeah. Well, and again, like you said, that's, I think the transparency and understanding what's going on and hey, if I'm not a good fit, just tell me I'm not a good yep. fit. So I'm not sitting here wondering, will I ever hear back? Is the reason I didn't hear back because nobody saw my resume type yep. of a thing? It's just a, thanks for engaging with this, you know, based on this, we're, we're not moving you forward. Like uh, it stings, but you move on type of a thing. Yep. And at least you can move on. You can have closure to it. Yep. 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 Okay. So what kind of questions then? And again, is this, is this standard? Are companies kind of tailoring what these engagements look like? What does that look like? And how deep into a conversation are you going and assessing mm -hmm. these initial screens? Yeah. So yes, it is, it is just that it's an initial screen. So um, there's kind of a couple layers of it. The first layer is 
very straightforward and it's um, ba basic job requirements. So some jobs require a driver's license because you have to drive to, to them at home care workers, for instance. Um, some require visa sponsorship and, and oftentimes you don't find out about the people will not necessarily see that on the job description apply anyway. So there's this very basic um, initial set and we find that when yeah. candidates are asked directly, do you have this or do you don't, do you not, they're much more likely to, to give you a direct answer versus if it just happens to be in the requirement bullets. So that's the first step. The next step is, so we're, we have a library of questions um, that are based on role, um, based on, you know, tone of voice, um, based on market, um, and it's constantly growing. So I don't believe there's like one silver bullet or magical set of questions, but we have, for example, if you're an account manager in Seattle, here's the virtual um, recruiting coordinator to, to deploy a humanly recruiting coordinator to ask those questions. So we have okay. libraries of questions um, that they can pick and choose from. Most of our cust customers will use about 80 to 90% of our questions and then customize about 10%. Okay. So okay. you can kind of blend. That's what I, that was what I was yeah. kind of getting yeah. at is, are you on your own? Do you need to come up with this? Or do you say, yeah. hey, based on this, we've been doing this for a while. So here's here's this kind of suite of things you can pick from because we know this is going to be and that's and that's the breakdown you find people typically are going 80 90 percent what you go with and then they may say we really are looking for these some of these specifics as well in that frontline screen yeah yeah and, and then just super quick um it also evolves what they want so right now people are using our remote work question pack a lot because that that's um becoming top of mind and this. Yeah, the and, remote question, remote yeah, work question pack. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, as you hire people, we can look at post hire data to say, hey, this cohort of candidates stayed the longest. This cohort was um, maybe most engaged by looking at your culture amp or tiny pulse data. And then and then the questions can change based on um, who, who you're bringing in and what your needs are. OK, OK. So in this early stage, you're well, and I think What's been interesting to watch as now the back to work whole chaos is is going on right now is this whole need for candidates to feel informed on what's going on and even be empowered to make decisions on things. The, the example you give of even just asking direct screener questions of, hey, this is, you know, are, do you have this or are you looking for this? Being able to do some of this, I'd really be curious to see some of the remote screener packs, question yep. packs. Because again, I think there is this level of, we just need to know where people are at so that we can make a decision based on what we're trying to do as an organization. And you as a candidate can be direct and upfront with, well, if this is the requirements of the job, I'm either okay with that or I'm not type of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think the other piece too, as opposed to like asking these questions in a form or is you, you want to catch someone at the right time. So it, it, maybe they're not a fit right now. Um, maybe they haven't yet graduated or they don't have a basic requirement. So we will also keep in touch and we'll say, hey, Chris, it's been six months. Are you still qualified, interested and available? Are you still living in Wisconsin? Okay. Are, and, and then we um, give the company that information. Well, because that's what I was, that was going to be my follow-up direction with this is all of this that's happening right now, that's all data that's being captured that's being then, man, it's not, it's not just going into a black hole of, well, it, it didn't work out, see you later type of a thing. This is now helping build your portfolio of data around who do we know that's interested, where are they, what other types of roles might they be able to fit into along the way so that you can actually use some of these interactions, even if they don't go where you thought they were gonna go. Yeah, completely. It is about the data. And it's, it's also data that companies are paying in time and money to get. So when you Massive. have people applying, I mean, you're marketing your employer brand, you're paying for Indeed sponsored posts. So you should, if you get 4,000 people that apply, 20 get the job, what are, what are you doing to keep in touch with the What are you rest doing with the, the other 3,880? 3, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Okay, okay, got it. So this is actually then solving more than just well because again talk about the black hole that's another black hole in organizations when it comes to this those four thousand candidates you only took 20 that's a lot of people that just now have fallen off your radar and again you know maybe they applied you have them in your talent system but how many organizations are really doing much with that because they don't really have much information and data actionable data on it other than they know the person filled out a thing 
Yeah, yeah, completely. You know, if you think about sales, if I were to tell you you had 4,000 people that wanted to buy your product, but we're just going to sell it to 20 and never talk to the, the rest again, you know, that would not, that would be a, a failure. You'd be laughed out of the room yeah, or yeah, thrown yeah. out of the room. Yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. So got it. So then with this, now I am curious on this standpoint, um, from a data standpoint, this is, I have to imagine there's data implications behind this from a security and efficacy mm-hmm point of our, you know, is somebody now being informed, hey, you know, we're, how does that work so that people feel comfortable? Again, you're being transparent, you're working with AI. What kind of transparency goes into that so that people understand the engagement that they're having? Yeah, one thing that I think is important and AI in some cases can add bias. So um, we're very careful around how we use the data to we're not making decisions and rejecting candidates ourselves we'll put them in lists and then you'll see hey this is the list that came through humanly um from a data privacy standpoint um and it's awesome to see all the stuff happening with the california data laws with gdpr um so we're you know we, we obviously follow um all the standard protocols there um you know i think giving being transparent with candidates about how the data is used is important as well. Um, and then and then how we store the data. So making sure that we're storing it in secure ways um, is important. Um, and I, you know, I think with, with, with what we're seeing with like GDPR and stuff, it's the crux of it is people own their data. So I think being very clear with candidates around what you're doing with it, why you're doing that um, is part of the trust building piece that you alluded to as well. So it's an opportunity for for companies to to lead there, I believe. Okay, got it. Well, and one of the things you brought up, one of the things that we could probably have an entire episode on just this part of it if we wanted to, but I won't. I promise I won't because this is something that is it's going to catch a lot of organizations off guard, I think, if they're not careful. But one of the things you brought up is, one, the transparency behind it. So having that transparency. I think the other one, though, that is really interesting when we start talking about AI when it comes to these types of situations is that lack of trust often comes when we think about handing the reins in the decision making over yep. to the AI. And we say, OK, and we can I can I can think of a perfect example of an AI recruiting platform a while back that was yeah. using facial recognition yeah, and yes, it yes. did not go so well. Let's just say it didn't go so well. But again, when we talk about the decision-making piece, what you're talking about is you're using the AI to aggregate, to get the answers, to do the analysis of all this, but there's still a human in the loop on the decisions around what are we going to do about this information. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And the human in the loop is very important. We, we This is a human-driven process. Um, we're not trying to throw technology at it. One of the reasons for our name, Humanly, um, and we can talk about this later, but um, we're also helping the human, um, not not just by having the, the set of candidates be smaller, but then once you go into the interview, which is conducted by a human, we will give them feedback around how they can be better. Um, are they remembering to bring up their company values? Are they speaking too fast, which disadvantages candidates where English is a second language? So yeah, that I, I think that is very important, the, the human piece yeah. of it. Well, and we're going to, that's where I'm going next. But before we get to that, uh, kind of tying off this whole AI side, because this is yep. the front end, you're helping streamline the operations piece, then using AI to help screen things down. But going back to your point of creating a more equitable process yep. for this, having data into this is huge so that you can actually know how you're making decisions on who you're screening. And I yep. think that is one of the limitations, especially in those early screening things, where you say, how did we decide these are the, going back to our example of 4,000 people, how did we decide on the 20? Yep, yep. Oftentimes that's met with, that's just where we landed type of a thing. And what this is actually allowing you to do is now have a data-driven approach to say, based on these criteria, we assessed all these criteria, we, we narrowed it down, and this is based on data how we got to this is that i mean i think again this this now creates greater equity in that system correct it's based on data and it's also based on data that's more transparent to candidates where before this in the last you know 10 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last 10, 15 years, people were still using applicant tracking systems that would screen people in or out, um, and obviously still doing that today. Um, but the difference here is now it's a little more transparent to the candidate. Okay. So they have some visibility into it as well so that they know if I didn't make that 20, here's why. These were, yeah. the, these were the criteria. Yeah. Or here's some other options. So maybe you're a better fit for this role. Um, can we keep in touch with you about this instead? So that that's, that's always, always another option. Okay. Okay. Got it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's true. That's a fair point that it's about thinking bigger than just yay or nay on these 20, but Hey, you know what? You didn't make these 20, but we know enough about you now to know maybe we will follow up with you in six months when you finish completing this or when something else, where we have another role that actually does this. And now we actually have data on you to be able to make those matchings yep. in a meaningful, valuable way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So then let's shift to part two of this, because this is an emerging part that even since we first talked, we were talking about it. We're like, when did we first <laughs> on being on this? this is like seven months ago or something like that. So a lot has happened with humanly since then, because now, you're also focusing on how do we make the candidate experience better, but also how do we develop, and I think this is one connection that we'll make to learning and development, how are we actually developing people in their interviewing skills? Because that is an area that any L&D leader who's watching, who's been in the space for any period of time knows, a lot of time and energy goes into how do we make sure people do a good job of doing this as leaders? So talk to me a little bit about that evolution and what that looks like. Yeah, so one, one thing we started to realize from our customers is if we are going to really own this space of the direct conversations with candidates, it's more than just automating the repetitive ones. That's an important step, but how do we actually help people become better at those conversations that, that are human-driven and done by humans? And we feel strongly that things like the interview should continue to be done by, by people. Um, so the, the second evolution is kind of once we've helped you save a bunch of time through automating these initial steps, um, we have um, a, a tool that will sit in on your interviews. So these are interviews that are done, the initial initial step in the interview, they're done via Zoom, via Microsoft Teams, um, okay. where you're doing a remote interview. Um, we will uh, sit in on the meeting. We have a, you just invo invite voice at humanly.io to your meetings. It will take notes and it will provide feedback um, back to to the hiring team to the talent acquisition leader saying hey here's you got um and we could even pull up that 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 slide too but we'll give you examples such as what topics are really resonating with your candidates so in this example when um the hiring team was talking about customers and their growth candidates really had a, a really strong reaction and um were more likely to accept yeah. the offer um even things as simple as, you know, are you interrupting candidates? Uh, um, are you speaking too fast? Um, so so this is kind of the next step. Let's automate the chats that can be automated and let's help people get better at the chats that are not automated. Okay. So what I loved about this from a data standpoint, and I'll, we'll, we'll flood this in and out of the conversation yep. here as we go, is at first the initial thought again, might be, okay, so you could invite a chat bot to your, your virtual meeting and it could capture a bunch of information specifically about the candidate. But I love the fact, and this is where, again, to me, from a learning and development standpoint, this really was a different approach that I really like. It's really more about how do we grow and develop our people who are doing these interviewers or doing these interviews to know you know, what types of things in those interviews are, like you said, really resonating? Or what are some of the skills that maybe you're lacking in the way you interview a candidate? Things like that, so that not only are you just trying to find better candidates, but you're actually improving the capability of your organization in being able to interview and lead and find good people and create a positive experience. So you're that's 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 the part that I thought was just a different angle at it that actually adds you're, you're teaching people to fish in many regards versus just churning more people through a broken process yeah yeah and, and you know the, and it's 
the same engine that helps our bots ask the right questions is, is the same one that's also um, providing information to to that human. So it so it is uh, it makes for a less disjointed candidate experience as well. So yeah. Okay. So at, let's talk about this um, because one of the things, and I mentioned I might bring this up, and so I will, because this is where I think the application of this is is huge and is is vastly. Uh, overlooked in many regards is when we think about natural language understanding mm -hmm. and how far AI has come and being able to listen to a conversation, analyze it, actually find key points and then provide feedback similar to the dashboard that you have here, right? So here was this interview, here's what happened, here's all the data points that you wouldn't possibly have been able to pull out of that conversation. But a machine can because it can listen to you and analyze all this and then give some feedback. That to me is a massive capability for the growth and development of people because one of the biggest ways that we, one of the things we spend so much time doing is having conversations and yet so often we never get feedback on those conversations. And I was telling you, I remember years ago trying to find somebody who could do this kind of thing for learning and development. What if we could have AI listening to a meeting and giving everyone in the meeting feedback on your example? You interrupt all the time. Whenever this person speaks up, you you cut them off type of a thing. And that kind of development feedback is massive. So is is the feedback that it's capturing purely for the interview team? Yes, so we're, we're not judging candidates. We have had a couple, um, uh, pilots we're doing where we're giving feedback to candidates but not sharing it with the company um, specifically but but yes it is for the interview team and w one area we see a breakdown is oftentimes you might be talking to a trained recruiter at the beginning and and they they you know they're, they're doing a good job at, at what they're doing, but then it breaks down as more and more people get involved in interviews. So maybe there's a hiring manager, someone who's like, when I was at my, Microsoft, um, I remember going into my first interviews when I was an interviewer and I went through the new new interviewer training, but I, I just, I didn't feel like I knew, knew what I was doing right away. And I, I, I think um, that that's where the breakdown often happens when you get beyond those professional um, recruiters. Um, you know, well, and if you think about it, I mean, this is <laughs> recruiters are having these conversations every day yeah, yeah. throughout the day. It's yep. just purely a activity of they, they're in the swing of it. They're building that skill on a daily basis. The muscle is finely tuned and trained because it's being used all the time. Yep, yep. You think about hiring managers. What? How often are hiring managers a lot of times hiring people? Maybe, maybe in certain cases yep. it's pretty frequent, but even still nowhere near what a recruiter is. So really even the opportunity to build the skill is much less limited in that mm -hmm. sense because you're just not doing it as much. And like you said, that's where it all breaks down. And I can relate to it. I think we've all had those conversations. It goes really well with the recruiter. They're like, wow, they asked really great questions. We had a good conversation. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then you talk to a hiring manager or somebody on the hiring team and you go, what the heck was that? Yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, and even for recruiters, you know, you, you'd mentioned the, the term kind of black hole for the initial piece. And I look at interviews as kind of a black box where you don't really know what's happening. And um, so one one feature we have is if you have a question so maybe you want to find out what percent of candidates are bringing up covid or what percent are bringing up your glass door reviews and is it in a positive or negative light so being able to answer those questions i think benefits everyone so it's not just about getting people in trouble for behaving in ways that are inefficient no. but it, it's it's can, can you get those questions can you actually find out what's happening in inside of those interviews um and and have a process that helps you be more efficient and equitable based on that well and i and i can just think over the years of the conversations i've been in where again you're the black hole you're talking about is it exists this is a real pain point for organizations where they either can't fill spots or yep. people are and they they really don't know what's breaking down because what's happening is locked in each of these individual conversations here and there. And so you don't have the holistic visibility into, okay, as a whole, we've talked to 4,000 people. 
what are we learning about those 4,000 people who are interested? Like, what are their concerns? Yep. Yep. What are the yep. things that matter to them? What are the hesitancies they have? What are they asking about all the time so that we might be able to go back and look at the job and go, we've lost all these candidates because 80% of them brought this up and our answer was, well, no, we don't. Yep. Or this is what's expected of that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we can't do is wake interviewers up if they fall asleep. Going back to my uh, example at the beginning. You can't. You can't. Do it. We like, don't have a that, feature yet. What's that watch, watch on Shark Tank that just yeah. like zaps people? You can't maybe hook it up to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you can't fix that, but you can't fix it. So I am curious from a data standpoint, because you've obviously worked with a number of companies who've done this. What are some of the biggest lessons that you're seeing organizations learn from this because again this has been a black hole for many organizations and it, it is still for many organizations what kind of insights are coming out of this that's helping improve the process yeah so one thing that really jumped out to me um, with one of our customers and they, they fix this problem now which is great um, but we found that um, so publicly traded companies are required to um, ask for EEO data. So to ask candidates for ethnicity, gender candidates, of course, don't have to provide that. But what we found with this customer is junior female IT candidates were literally getting some several minutes less to speak in their interviews than their male counterparts. So we can measure interruptions. We can measure if the Zoom call starts on time. We can measure if there's a pause in the conversation as someone jumping in. Um, so where it gets really interesting to me is kind of looking at those um, comparisons and then correcting them. So, you know, we want to, don't want to just be about the data, but can we create behavior change? So once you pass that kind of awareness thing, so one example with me is I was less patient with uh, product managers than engineers. I had no idea. Um, and it's maybe just because my background's in product management. So I think I know what I'm talking about there. So I, I, I started uh, interrupting more and it was really not good. So, um, so I think um, changing those behaviors, um, uh, we, we've seen that uh, impact over time. Another piece too is people spend a lot of money right now on, on training, at which they should. Um, interviewer training, unconscious bias training, but there's no way to measure are you improving. So something as simple as talking less than 150 words per minute, and I, I'm going to slow down now because I'm probably above that, um, is, is really helpful for all candidates, specifically if English yeah. is a second language. And people just don't even realize, realize that, so that they're doing those things sometimes. Okay. Well, and that actually ties to, you told me before you, you caught last week's episode, and that was one of the things that John and I were talking about, is that when you're dealing with global roles, but even non-global roles, English is not always the primary language. And you may inadvertently, like you said, inadvertently be discriminating against certain can just because you're talking way too fast or using jargon or things like that, that they just aren't, people aren't aware what you're talking about. And it can be, it can have a massive impact on things. The point that you're bringing up, and I think is a big one, you're creating visibility and awareness into that that people didn't have. <laughs> okay. Okay. Interesting. So I am curious about this though, because it's one thing to know, it's another thing for organizations to do something about that yep. behavior change type of a thing. So what kind of hurdles do you see or have you run into that organizations may need to think about with that? Because it's in some regards, I actually, it's funny. I had a conversation today with someone and they brought up the fact that a lot of times people in learning are, you know, don't always want to dive into the analytics behind it because they might not like what they see. And I can see there being some resistance yep. to this in some regards, because it's like, well, what are we going to find when we start looking and turning over rocks. So how how have you seen organizations walk that well? Because I can see that having some major challenges. Yeah, I know it's a great question and the tool isn't for, for everyone, but I think um, one of the things we looked at is just being really um, 
flexible. So if, if, for instance, you only want these three data points captured or you don't want anyone to see other people's data, you just want aggregate views. So there's some things we can do just in, in how we show the data to make it more comfortable. And usually we'll start with, um, you know, a smaller set of data. I've kind of thrown out like a, the whole kitchen sink, um, but we'll usually start small. Um, and, and so the adoption journey is, is a journey. Um, and, and there's also, you know, I think like reasons for people to use it that are beyond just the analytics. So one of our recruiters that's using the product, he does 30 interviews a month and he just, um, he was taking 30 sets of notes a month. So now he has the notes from the call synced into the applicant tracking system. So we have other kind of hooks to, to get people engaged. And then, then we start to see they get a lot of value from the data analytics. So typically what we do, it's kind of like brushing your teeth and then going to the dentist where, we'll send you a weekly report and you can see how you're doing and you can make small improvements. That's the brushing your teeth. Um, but then we'll have a quarterly meeting where we'll bring in experts in linguistics. We'll bring in experts in culture in, in, and this is more of a quarterly business review. And we'll say, what are your goals for the quarter? What are you trying to improve on? So maybe it's being more inclusive in interviews. So let's track, are you using language um, that, could be um, uh, could be biased. Are you treating different candidates differently? So I think really tying it to what the company goals are, and and giving other reasons to use it um, for the individual is, is kind of how we've gone about um, getting it to be really ingrained into the process. Um, and generally, people are pretty receptive to that. Okay, that makes sense. And I think that's that's not just true of of this. This is that's true of. I would say many things where, because I can see with some of the things we talked, we talked about the apex of, <laughs> right? You could do all yeah, of these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. In some organizational, from an organizational change standpoint, if you're doing none of those things, trying to bite all that off could feel not only super overwhelming, but just yeah. create major uncertainty and tension within the organization. So I think you're, you're, thinking or just kind of for people who may be considering regardless of what they're doing treading into this territory say you know plot your journey accordingly and make sure yep. you're stepping towards it and i think that's that's a good practice for just about anything okay absolutely okay so in terms of how other organ uh hang on here we did get a question from rudy so i'm actually going to bring this piece um kind of curious to see Rudy's question. It's actually a good one is this whole behavior change. Uh, are you seeing and in again, just more in generality standpoint, the big key here to me, at least as a learning person is thinking about changing the behavior. It's great if we can get the operational efficiency, absolutely fantastic. But really the crux of this is, can we actually get an organization to change the behaviors that we want to change going back to your point of make sure you know what you're measuring because if you don't know yep. what you're measuring it's going to be really hard to map this back but have you seen any trends between industries or private public organizations in terms of you know are there are there trends that you see a bigger uptake in that behavior change yeah, it's a re really good question, Rudy. Um, I'll, I'll start by just being really straightforward. I mean, we're fairly early in this, so we don't have you know thousands of customers to, to compare. But the initial observations that we're seeing is with public companies, there, there are some uh, regulations they fall under. So for example, they need to collect EEO data. So they have to ask candidates about things like gender, things like ethnicity, and candidates don't have to provide that, but they ask the question. Um, so with companies that are bound by some greater process, uh, um, this kind of fits right in um, where we can kind of say, hey, we know company A just invested eight billion dollars in unconscious bias training, but they have no way to measure if it's actually impacting their interviews. So we can kind of fit right in. So I think generally when we see big investments, which is more so we're seeing with a lot of public companies now that are making big investments or they have obligations to their shareholders, um, that there's, uh, you know, that there's some instant. Um, I, I think a lot of it just has to do with the leaders. Um, so there are some leaders that just want to see it all. They want the data, they want to create change, and they want to help their people people understand why 
more data can actually help you be better. So I think it maybe is a little bit less to do with um, public versus private, but but it has to do with who the leader is from the top down. Um, and, and then you do have some industry where with staffing firms, for instance, they, they do need, they, a lot of staffing firms will already be doing some of this manually. They will, uh, it's very important to them that they have kind of a, a little bit of a top-down approach when it comes down to standardization to process. Um, and then another thing we're seeing, I guess, with with larger companies, not necessarily public, but a lot of our public customers are, are bigger, is, is a move towards standardization. So can we measure are we being consistent with our candidates and bringing up these five topics or are we not um so so that's generally what we're seeing earlier but i'm happy to report back as we as we learn more okay well and and i i was talking to i don't remember who it was but we were talking about with the events of the last few years a lot of big organizations are moving past words about taking action on some of these things and actually taking action on it. But I know just from conversations that a lot of organizations struggle to know where can we take action on being more equitable to uh, really kind of taking, making changes in the organization and know that it's having a difference. And I think that was one of the things that as we talked about this was really fascinating is this is a huge opportunity area for organizations because who you're bringing in the experience that you're getting i mean this this has a massive implication on the overall not only candidate experience and overall operations of the org but actually the ability to bring in a diverse set of candidates who you may not have been touching before who now have the opportunity to be able to grow in the organization it's really fixing the front end of the funnel mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and one, one other thing to that point is we are kind of seeing with B2C companies or companies that have a, a very kind of outward-facing brand, um, you know, they, they're starting to realize that they're potentially losing money by, by having negative candidate experiences. So that's another uh, kind of a group of customers that um, seem to resonate well with this. Okay, got it. Got it. Well, so one final question that I have for you on this is, you know, as as organizations are making this shift, like where do you see the next generation of this kind of going? We, you know, obviously you started with this, hey, operation side, automating through the AI. Now you're giving feedback into it. You, know, you talked briefly about the fact that now you're seeing some of your clients starting to use this in other areas, but I'm curious just from your side, yep. where do you see this going? Yeah, I mean, ideally we want to be a part of like right now, all your direct candidate conversations that could move beyond candidates to employees. Um, and, and really it's the, the same engine we're building, whether we're the ones asking the question through our bot or we're providing feedback to people. Um, it, it's really that kind of that one en engine we're building. And it, we're seeing customers actually, this kind of surprised me. Just I, I just wasn't expecting it. It wasn't what we were selling, but customers are starting to invite the voice uh, bot to their stay interviews and their exit interviews. And it was kind of a, a light bulb um, moment for me in the sense that, you know, if you really want to do this holistically, you need data across the whole life cycle. So what are you doing for candidates then? What are you doing when they're onboarding? What are you doing with stay interviews? What are you doing with exit interviews? So I think beginning to collect some of this conversational data um, um, across the employment cycle is, is important, even beyond to alumni and whatnot. So we do see some really interesting things around, around that, around stay and exit interviews right now, which was something that was driven by our customers. And, and that, that's, um, certainly something we're going to pay close attention to. Okay. Okay. And to me, that was a logical, I mean, that, that to me is a logical continuation of where you're going with it. It's, it's funny, your clients were, you know, kind of putting those pieces together because it, it it's one thing to fix the front end and to get feedback there, but there's far more interactions with yeah. people throughout the organization. So to be able to actually capture that and provide feedback, and that's going back to, how can this affect learning and development? To me, that's a prime opportunity for learning and development leaders to tap into some of this capability and say, hey, if we have something, and this is where we can start to work across the horizontal when we think about talent and say, what are some of these solutions that we can look at that, yes, they're solving a problem for this function, but at the same time, 
the behavior, the process that it's doing is also capturing meaningful data and can provide insight into people in the organization for their own growth and development. And that's where it might sound like, oh, recruiting tool, but really I would almost say it's a development tool just as much of as it is at recruiting. Maybe that could be debated in terms of where, but it's definitely a huge component, especially with Gen 2 of where you're going. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm excited to maybe start seeing what happens in one-on-ones that managers are having with, with employees and That's management management training, those sort of things. Yeah. 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 The ability to do that and be able to invite something like this to it and hear the conversation and give you feedback on that and say, because I'm sure leaders, there, there would be a lot of insights coming out of that. This is how you handle your one-on-ones. Do you know the difference between these one-on-ones versus these one-on-ones type of things would be extremely valuable. Yeah. And, and I know we're out of time, but yeah, just something as simple as are, am I giving all my direct reports the same amount of time as one person getting rescheduled more? Can I have searchable notes? Even that basic stuff I think could be important to one-on-ones. Okay. All right. Well, like I said, I knew we were going to run out of time. I told you <laughs> that part. So well, this has been absolutely fantastic, Prem. I appreciate you making the time. Hopefully for those of you listening, even though it may have started feeling like, well, this is a bit outside our box. It's really not because it anything that has to do with people and the workforce, as far as I'm concerned, we've got something to do with it. And I think there's tremendous opportunity as we look at look outside the lines of L&D. So thank you for making the time. This has been fantastic and I love what you're doing with it. So have a great rest of your Friday. Thanks everybody for joining. Thanks everyone.